For those of you guys watching us online from coast to coast and across the fruited plains, my name is Joe. I'm the pastor here at Lynchburg City Church, and if God puts it on your heart to give to the church, you can do so by going to lynchburgcitychurch.com. And with that, why don't we just take a second and pray together. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord, and thank you for loving us. In fact, we, we love you because you first loved us. We love you because you first loved us. You first loved us. And I pray that wouldn't be boring when we contemplate that. I pray that, that just that thought wouldn't become something so familiar that it no longer excites us. Today, God, we think of President Biden. We pray for a special grace upon him in his life. We pray that you would sustain his health, his mental faculties, and uh, Lord, that you'd help him to make good, wise, and just decisions. Lord, for Vladimir Putin, we, we ask that you would confuse and frustrate his plans. We ask that you would save him. For the church in Ukraine, for the church globally, in Russia, for the Christians, Lord, in Afghanistan, in North Korea, in the South Sudan, in Eritrea. Lord, for the Christians in Nigeria. Some of these most difficult and hardest places to be a Christian in the world. Right now, Lord, we just pause to remember those, as the author of Hebrews tells us, to remember those who are in chains as if in chains with them. I'm thinking of Pastor Yusuf imprisoned in Iran and Pastor Wang and John imprisoned in China, Lord. And Leah Sherabu still being held by Boko Haram in Nigeria. Help us to remember those, Lord. Strengthen them. Give them faith, Lord. Please provide for them. Please help them, Jesus. And today, God, I pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. I pray that you would protect me as I speak. Uh, help me not to make any mistakes today, Lord. Just say something in error. Help me to say only what you want me to say. If there's something you don't want me to say, don't let me say it. If there's something I need to say, I haven't even prepared to say, I pray for a, a word today. I pray for those of us, Lord, listening, watching right now, that you'd free us from whatever distractions going on in our lives that you'd help our attention spans and just help us to hear from you, God. We need you, Jesus. We need you. Lord, in addition, we, of course, think of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coast guardsmen, those serving at home and abroad. And Lord, while we pray for them and their success, we also pray for their salvation. Please save them. Please save them, Jesus. Thinking of our friends and family members, God, that we have that are not Christians, moms, dads, brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, Lord. Those people, those names going up to you right now, just silently here where we're at, I pray for their salvation. And Lord, I pray for our time together today. We say this in your great name, amen. Amen. We're in John's Gospel. This is part 12 of our journey through John's Gospel, part 12. And uh, all of these are, are online, on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, in case you're curious. Um, but we're going to be in chapter 4, a very small passage, uh, starting in verse 46. 
John chapter 4, starting verse 46. And I, I guess I'd begin by saying so much of today's story is going to be linked to the preceding verses, 43 to 45, in which Jesus is welcomed by the Galileans, where we left off last week. But he's only welcomed by the Galileans because they've seen him do a bunch of cool stuff. And they like seeing him do cool stuff. And they like all the benefits that they get from when he does cool stuff. So much of, of where we're going today is coming right off the, the heels of that passage in 443 to 45. And so it begins, part 12, in verse 46, it says, So he, that's Jesus, he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. Pause right there. And if you remember, it was in Cana that was the very place Jesus performed his first miracle. But the problem that we're about to see is that instead of believing in Jesus, all the people want from Jesus is a show. All they want is to see him do more tricks. And so while they welcomed him in 443 to 45, it's not a welcome of who he really is, but rather who they want him to be and what they want him to do for them. And that's the central problem with these people. And it says, and at Capernaum, the rest of verse 46, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. We've got this unnamed official who was most likely in the service of Herod Antipas, who served as Tetrarch of Galilee from 4 BC to 39 AD. Antipas, of course, was the son of Herod the Great. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, there's a lot of guys named Herod. It's not the same guy. It's a bunch of different guys. And so Herod the Great, he was the guy that ruled all of Palestine at the time of Jesus' birth, after his father's death, it was Antipas who was made ruler of Galilee in the north. And so this official is working most likely for Herod Antipas. And if he's working most likely for Herod Antipas, there are some implications about such a position. This would have probably been someone who had land, someone who had money, someone who had wealth, someone who probably had resources. This guy probably would have had power, and yet he doesn't have the power to help his son. Verse 47, And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. You can almost feel the desperation. If you can just envision this. He doesn't know if his son's going to make it. And I don't know if you've ever had a friend or family member who was in a very crisis-like situation where it was touch and go. But this is the situation for him. You can, you can feel the urgency. He comes to Jesus with little thought about who Jesus is. He comes to Jesus because he's heard that Jesus can perform miracles. And if he can really do miracles, then, then maybe his son has a chance. You see, for this man, nothing else matters right now except his son. That's what crisis do. When we encounter a crisis, it has a way of getting all the, the really non-important stuff out of the way. It, it puts things in their proper place because sometimes things seem really important in the moment. That is, until something really important happens. See, sometimes we'll, we'll feel maybe some anxiety or we'll feel depression. 
or, or we'll have maybe negative thoughts because of a situation in our lives, a situation that is very troubling to us, and I'm sure it is. But what happens sometimes is our minds have a way of creating a problem that seems bigger than it actually is and then tack on some just good old-fashioned spiritual warfare and then we're at DEFCON 1. In fact, I, I remember back in 2014, I was, going through a, I was going through a really tough breakup and if you've ever gone through a tough breakup, you know they can be, they can be difficult. It was a tough time for me in my life, uh, spring of 2014, and I, I thought this was just the the biggest issue, the biggest problem in my life, and that is until one of my really good friends called me up and told me that he too was in crisis and that because of a choice that he made, he was facing up to 10 years in prison. And then all of a sudden, like in that moment, my problem and my hurt and and my issues, they just seemed a whole lot less important. Like, I could literally feel when he, when my friend told me, my lawyers are telling me I'm facing up to 10 years in prison. I, like, when he said that, just like all the anxiety and stress in my life just started just dropping as I contemplated my friend's situation. And, and that's what we see in life sometimes, because sometimes things seem really, really important in the moment, that is, until something else really, really important happens and I just imagine this dad here, he's, he's dropping whatever he's doing to move like the wind to see Jesus because he is scared. He is afraid. Despite his power, despite his wealth, despite his resources, the situation is just out of his hands. And what you'll find is that sometimes God will ordain even hardships in our lives to help show us our helplessness, to show us our deficiencies, to show us how much we actually need him. The reality is, We've needed him the entire time. Just those moments of crisis has a way of getting the window cleared off enough for us to see what's been there the whole time. And that is our absolute and total need for Jesus. And so verse 48, he gets to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, unless you see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And that is because by nature, unbelievers, they don't love God. By nature, unbelievers use God to get whatever it is they really want and love. And at the core, it's idolatry. And today, people operate this exact same way. They want God, not because they love him, but rather they want to use him to get what they really want. And all throughout John's gospel, we see people operating this way. They have a desire for miracles, not for Jesus. For signs and wonders, but not for Jesus. And there are churches out there in which these sorts of things are the entire focal point of the service. Not Jesus, not the Bible, signs and wonders and miracles. And just like the Galileans as it is today, these things don't produce real faith. And that's not me making a judgment about the significance and validity of such things, but rather to point out that the obsession over these things is a real problem and concern, especially when the obsession totally ignores Jesus. Like, I've been to some churches in which the Holy Spirit is the only member of the Trinity that ever seems to get acknowledged. 
or, or where I have heard more about personal experiences and signs and wonders than I did the biblical text, than just the Bible story. And what I'm saying is that just like Jesus and his warning here to the Galileans and to this official, the danger in all of this is loving the gifts instead of the giver. And it's something we have to be aware of and very mindful of. And so, verse 49 says, The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. In verse 49, the man he doesn't respond to what Jesus has just said in the prior verse. That unless you see signs and wonders, you're just not going to believe. And instead, the official just repeats his request of Jesus to help save his son. And in this repeated request is the man's belief that Jesus needs to, to come with him. Jesus needs to be physically present for his son to have any chance whatsoever. And his goal in coming to Jesus, let me just be really clear, it's not to obtain salvation for himself but just physical healing for his child. And so many people think that their greatest need is something other than what it actually is. The man thinks his greatest need in this moment is for physical healing for his son. But that's not his greatest need. See, sometimes God will do this in order to just get our attention and order us to see what our greatest need is. To get us thinking outside ourselves about things of eternal significance, which for this man still isn't even on his radar yet. But it will be soon. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man, key word, believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Go. Your son's going to live. That's what Jesus says to him after the man's follow-up request to come with him. And the text tells us that he believed. He believed. That's, that's a huge statement here in verse 50. Jesus said, go, and this man believed. He didn't say, Jesus, are you sure? He didn't say, can I see a miracle first for validation or proof? He didn't complain that Jesus wouldn't come with him. The text says he believed, then he left. The man hears the word and believes. He doesn't know much, but he believes. Just as in James 1.22, it tells us, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Did you catch that? Doers of the word is what we're supposed to be, that we might not be deceived. See, self-deception is a very real and dangerous possibility. A possibility that exists for those watching and listening in this very moment. There are many who hear, who nod along, who say amen and affirmation with what they hear, but they don't do anything about it. They walk out these doors, or they click on the next reel or video, and hearing they don't actually hear at all, but they agree to the fact that when it comes to taking steps of obedience, well... Somebody else can do that. See, for some of us, it's not an information issue. It's an obedience issue. For some of us, it's not a matter of needing more data, but rather we just need to obey. For some of us, it's not about learning more. It's about obeying what we already know. This man, he's got very little information. Like, he's got one sentence of theological instruction. That's it. And what does he do? He obeys it. That's the sort of faith that Jesus is after right now. And so... It says this, and as he was going down, verse 51, 
His servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so we asked them the hour when he began to get better. What was the time that he got better? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Yes, it's about seventh hour, 1 p.m. 1 p.m. He got better at 1 p.m. 1 p.m. That was the, that was the time when Jesus told, told me that he was, that was the time that Jesus told me he was going to make it. And did you catch verse 53? The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed. And not just him, his whole household. Statistically, if a wife converts and becomes a Christian, the husband will not. But if a husband converts and becomes a Christian first, the wife will too. And the reality is, if you're a guy, you're a leader. Today, 60% of the church is comprised of women. At Lynchburg City Church, we've got more guys than girls. That's not the norm. The stats will tell you all the same thing. Women make up a majority of people in the church. And then when it comes to guys, what happens is by the time they turn 18, they leave the church. They're like, well, my dad never went to church, still doesn't go to church. I don't really see the importance of it, so I'm not going anymore, and the cycle just continues. So yes, if you're a guy, you're a leader, and you might say, I don't feel that way. I don't view myself that way. doesn't matter because you are, so you've got to lead. And what sometimes I think is so frustrating to me is I'll see guys who are actually trying to do the right thing. They're trying to lead. They're trying to help move their families toward Jesus, and in the midst of this, They have a wife or they have a significant other who just makes it so difficult for them to do this. I remember a guy came to me one time. He told me how discouraged he was because his wife just dragged her feet whenever he tried to initiate anything that had to do with God or anytime he tried to make suggestions relating to faith and he's almost fighting back tears in that moment as if it's not already hard enough to be a leader. But at the end of the day, it's worth it. The official in John 4 tells his whole family about Jesus and they they all become believers because of his initiative and because of what God had done in his life. See, once again, we see it's not about like how much information we know, but about obedience to what information we have. And as a result, everybody is, is a household. They become Christians. This is why, guys, it's so critical that as a Christian guy, you're, you're a leader, and it might not come naturally to some of you. It might seem like a foreign idea, because maybe you're more quiet, or your significant other, she's more type A. It doesn't matter. You're still a leader. And even though the man, he started his journey to meet Jesus with the only goal of securing physical healing for his son, by the end of the story, the man gets spiritual healing along with his entire family. See, the, the reality is, when you come to Jesus... You get more than what you're expecting, more than you even realize sometimes that you need it like this official. And and you may feel that the biggest issue in your life today is emotional healing or physical healing or something else. But the, the truth is Jesus knows what you need and then some. And when we go to Jesus with our with our grief, when we go to Jesus with our sorrow, with our physical suffering, whatever it may be, Jesus can not only understand, he can sympathize with us. Or have you not heard Hebrews 4.15 tell us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable, who is unable, 
who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. He, he is able to sympathize with us in our hurts that we carry. He knows. He, he understands. He certainly here in the story sees the father, his love for his son. He no doubt sees the, the desperation of the father in this story. And yet I'm so thankful Jesus doesn't just give us what we want, but also the thing we didn't even know we needed. So verse 54 says, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is now the, the second sign. Just to be clear, if you're counting, John's not including signs performed in Judea going back to chapter 223. Okay? In case you're like, the, the math is off here. But here's the focal point. This story is about the power of God in helping people to see Jesus for who he really is. You see, for the, the Galileans who, who welcomed Jesus in 445, their big obstacle to seeing Jesus is that they only want Jesus so long as he can do things for them. And the truth is, sometimes, just like the Galileans, this can be our obstacle as well, in that we view Jesus through this lens of entitlement. So for them, Jesus, well, he's from their own town. So why shouldn't he do stuff for them? See, for us today, this can happen when we start to think this way as well. We think, he owes me. He owes us. I mean, after all, I've gone to church two weeks in a row. Yeah, he owes me. I've read my Bible this week. He owes me, right? I, uh, I prayed a whole bunch. He owes me. I even gave money this quarter to the church or, or whatever it is, right? This is his chance to repay me. And like then we can easily just become these self-entitled little brats who think God constantly owes us because of whatever the dumb reason we've come up with. So let me be really clear about this and set the record straight. He doesn't owe us anything. Just like he, he doesn't owe the official with the dying son anything in this story. Zero. Nothing. But how easy at times. Oh, it doesn't take much. We can slip into that self-entitlement that God owes me something. He owes me something. And yet at other times, we can just as easily slip into this place of complacency. Or as... Mr. Piper would call it this over-familiarity with Jesus, in which we become so familiar with the Bible and with Jesus and with Christianity that it no longer excites us. We hear, a we hear a sermon? Boring! We read the Bible? Boring! We sing with other Christians? Boring! And all of a sudden, it's dull. It's words on a page. And like the Galileans that grew up with Jesus in their, in their town, in their region, we become so familiar that nothing really shocks us anymore. Nothing wows us any longer. In fact, I remember a girl from my Christian high school who's now part of the LGBTQIA religion. And in high school, she was a, 
she's a real academic type, brainiac sort. And I remember I was probably about 22. Come back, just finished undergrad, came back to Alaska that summer, getting ready to go to seminary in the fall. And she shared with me that she did stop reading her Bible because, in her words, she's read it. She knows it. There, there isn't really anything new for her to learn or discover. There's no more exciting stories, no more highlight reel moments for her to see, nothing mind-blowing left to experience because, well, like the Galilean, she grew up with him and now, in her own words, had outgrown him. He had just become way too familiar. You see, in this story, John wants us to not only see the obstacles to seeing Jesus, but also the grace and power behind him healing this dying boy. This boy Jesus helped heal is probably about 15 to 18 miles away in Capernaum. Remember, the father, he keeps asking, Jesus, you need to come with me. You need to, you need to come, come with me to see him. He thought the 15, 18 miles, that, that's going to be a problem, which is why Jesus needs to come with him. That's why he kept asking him to come. The reality is he could have been 15,000 miles away and it wouldn't have mattered at all. Because when Jesus speaks, there are no limitations to his power. See, this isn't just another story. And that's really good news for those of us today who, like the father of the boy, need help. Need Jesus to rescue us. Like whatever the stumbling block is, whatever the obstacle is that you're facing today, whether you feel like God owes you something, which he doesn't, or you feel bored and unmotivated in your faith because God's just become so mundane and overly familiar. My desire, John's desire in this story is that you would see the power of God on display and that through the grace of God towards this man and his son and his whole family, we all be reminded collectively that he is and always be utterly amazing and not just meeting the needs that we have, but in meeting the needs that we don't even know we have. So as the team comes today, I want to pray for us. Lord, we love you because you are big and strong, and powerful, and authoritative. I pray, Lord, that for some of us, Lord, who are struggling in our faith, who are, are struggling, Lord, with attitudes of entitlement, Lord, that you would grant us a heart of repentance. For, for those of us, Lord, who are struggling in our faith and we're in, find ourselves in the doldrums right now and there's no wind, there's no breeze, there's no nothing. It's just stagnancy spiritually, Lord, that you would awaken in us a brighter glimpse of who your Son is. As we just got to see again Him doing amazing things. Whatever the issue is, Lord, whatever the issue, whatever the struggle, whatever we're dealing with right now, you know, and that much more. You know not just what's on our hearts, but what probably should be on our hearts if we knew everything that you knew. Jesus, help us. We need you. We pray this in your name. Amen.